2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 12. Together, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Let's pray. Dear Father, I do pray that you bless the reading of your word. Thank you for this whole uh, text, Lord, that we looked at on Thursday night. Uh, but specifically, just this one verse today. I pray that you would help us as we study, as we prepare our hearts, as we yield to you in some way. Uh, we submit to your word. I thank you for your spirit, God, that convicts us, that sustains us, that comforts us, and empowers us to do your will. I pray that you would receive all the glory and praise this morning. May that be our heart's prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And uh, we're talking about standing on truth, standing for truth, and we stand on the word. Amen. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 brings us to our sermon title, Standing Firm in Persecution. Standing Firm in Persecution. How many of you believe that verse? Let me see your hand, okay? After I just said what I said about the Bible, I hope you have your hand up. You can put your hand down. Now, don't lift your hand for this question, but just answer it in your heart. How many of you who lifted your hand, you believe the Word of God, how many of you that lifted your hand are suffering persecution? Just answer in your heart. The Bible says that all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, either this verse is not true, or you're not living godly if you're not suffering persecution. If you live for the Lord, then there's no way that you're going to get through this life and out of this world without suffering some form of persecution for Christ. We live in a country of unbelievable religious freedom. I think we forget sometimes how much religious freedom we have here. But you are going to face, even in America, you're going to face workplace discrimination for expressing your faith. You might be denied a promotion or even fired for something related to your faith. You may face legal challenges or lawsuits for refusing to do something that would violate your own conscience before God. If you uh, own a bakery, we've seen this before, if you own a bakery, you might lose your business if you refuse to bake a cake for a gay couple. You might face legal repercussions for refusing to uh, cover contraception in employees' health plans. Churches have been shot up. They've been burned down. They've been vandalized. Christian students uh, in college, on college campuses, have faced discrimination and censorship. Uh, elementary, middle school, and high school students have been bullied and harassed and verbally abused for their beliefs. Christians have been shadow banned on social media for sharing their opinions. Uh, we can also be persecuted just for telling the truth in our neighborhood. Even something as simple as publicly reading our Bible or sharing our faith. So persecution should not be a strange thing for a true Christian. It is rather to be something that should be expected. Now, this is our text. But I'd like to go over to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll also be in chapter 5, so if you would turn there, because we're going to be there quite a bit today. If you don't mind turning, that would help much for your uh, understanding and retention of this information this morning. And I pray that God, my prayer, of course, this morning, is that God would just stir our hearts about um, 
what we are supposed to be facing in America, in this world. Verse 1, chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Uh, for he that hath suffered in the flesh ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. What he's saying there essentially is that when a man is dead, he will, he will no longer sin. He will no longer sin. Referring, of course, to this present life. Because if you're saved, you are uh, freed from the penalty of sin. But you are still under the, uh, you're facing that presence of sin all the time. We have a flesh. We have a desire, uh, innate desire, even though we are a new creation in Christ. Praise God for that. But the vestiges of sin are still all around us. The world we live in still draws us into that wrong living, a life of sin. But when you reckon yourself dead in Christ, which we can, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and we realize that we are no longer under the power of that sin with Christ. We can have victory. We can be, in a moral sense, we can be dead to this world, dead by being crucified with Christ. Go down with me to verse number 12. I wanted to give you at least that context. Of course, you can read all those other verses, but let's go to verse 12 because we've got a lot here. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. There are going to be some people that are not looking forward to the second coming. There are some Christians that are, are not looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ because they're not ready. And that's not to say that they aren't going to be there. Praise God, Christ has saved us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's forgiven you. Your sins are washed away. But what are we doing as far as preparing works and, 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 uh, and working out our salvation and sanctification and, and doing things for the Lord after we're saved? The Bible says that for by grace are you saved by, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So there is a working out of salvation that comes after we've put our faith in Christ. Okay? And he says, I want you to have something at Judgment Day according to your ability, according to the gifting that I've given to you. And I'm going to, and Christ's saying, I'm going to test those works to see what sort of works they are. And there's some people that are just not looking forward to the return of Christ because they're not ready. They're not living for the Lord. But there are some people that this morning, they are rejoicing, looking to the day because they are ready to die. They are ready to go in the rapture. They are ready to meet the Lord. And they are rejoicing in their heart. And even in trials and in persecution, they can rejoice because they know that they are living for the Lord and this has eternal value and this is why we exist because my friend, living for self leads to depression. Living for Christ leads to freedom. It is freedom, okay? And so he says there in verse 13, but rejoice. Rejoice 
Well, it's Peter. But actually, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, he says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, verse 12, and be exceeding glad. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look at persecution as an opportunity to bring me glory. Look at persecution as an opportunity to live out your faith and to be a witness, a shining light of the gospel. And he says you should rejoice and not just be glad, but be exceeding glad, above being glad. See? And he says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Amen. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And sometimes we think, well, you know, we live in America. We shouldn't have to face persecution because we've arrived. If that's our attitude, then we are uh, sadly mistaken because even in America, we will face persecution if we live for the Lord. And we should, be, we should not resist this, but rather we should embrace it and say, praise God, I get an opportunity to live out my faith and to identify with Christ even in persecution and suffering. Verse number 14, he says here in 1 Peter chapter 4, continuing on with this thought, Peter writes, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer. See, see, some people say, well, if I get thrown in jail, then I'm obviously being persecuted for Christ. Why are you going to jail? (laughs) Some people say, well, you know, I broke the law, but, you know, really it's because I'm in jail, I'm obviously being persecuted. Uh, for Christ. Well, if it's not being persecuted for Christ or for your faith, you shouldn't be proud of that fact. But man, if God allows you the opportunity to suffer even to the the point of uh, jail or even death, that is a reward in heaven, and we should rejoice in that. He says here, and by the way, we shouldn't be looking for it. It'll come looking for you. Don't worry. Live for the Lord. But he says, but on your part he is glorified. But verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody, or in other man's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. That's our theme this year, not ashamed. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Amen. And we see there, suffering for sin brings shame. But we should not be ashamed when we suffer for Christ. We have a great reward in heaven. Verse 17, for the time has come that judgment, now this verse is taken out of context a lot, so it's good to read things in context. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be them uh, of them that obey not the gospel of God? This is talking about the fact that we as Christians should be expecting judgment and criticism and persecution. Verse 18, we need to look to ourselves, make sure that we're doing the right things in our walk. Verse 18, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. The same God who created this world by speaking 
The same God who holds the universe together. You might be saying, well, the world is falling apart. It's falling into place according to God's word, okay? But because of man's sin and the curse, yes, we, we do ex- experience, um, you know, the second law of thermodynamics, which things are just, you know, winding down. But God is still holding it into place. If God wasn't holding things together, they would definitely fall apart. Surely fall apart. But God's holding it together. And the same God that holds the worlds together is the one who has secured our eternal salvation. And we can and should commit the keeping of our souls to him because he is able. He is able. We see not only that we should uh, expect persecution. Persecution is inevitable. But number two today, we can stand firm in persecution. Go with me to chapter 5. We could talk about the shepherds of the flock of God, but I want to get down to the, the thought that is uh, tying into chapter 4 that I want to focus on today, and that is persecution. And how do we stand firm against the one who persecutes us? Verse number 8, you probably don't even need to look there. You probably have this verse memorized. But we see that verse 8, and it says, Be sober. That means to be alert, awake, Be sober. Be vigilant. Means keep a lookout. Because your adversary or your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You might say, well... I haven't suffered any persecution in my life because, you know, I haven't been thrown in jail. I haven't been burned at the stake yet or anything. You might be saying, well, how, you know, what is this persecution you're talking about, Pastor? The Greek word persecute, we find in our Bible, has the literal meaning of being pursued. I think of the devil as that roaring lion. He is pursuing Christians. He is watching Christians to see if there can be any fault found in you. There are people who pursue me night and day and pursue you night and day. They are scrutinizing your life. They are looking at your life. They hope that you fail. They hope that you fall. They pursue you. They pursue me. They want us to stumble, to make a mistake, to be caught in sin. They watch you hoping to find something. And uh, as Winston Churchill, to quote a man who led Britain through World War II, Winston Churchill said, if you don't have any enemies in your life, you never stood up for anything. So when you stand for truth, and you stand for what is right, and you stand against evil, you oppose evil in this world, and especially if you stand for the Lord, you will be pursued and persecuted for the faith. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was uh, out there on the Sabbath day with his disciples, and they were walking through uh, the wheat field, And his disciples stopped and they grabbed some grains of that wheat in the field and they threshed those heads of grain in their hand and they uh, 
they got the kernels there and they ate those kernels. And what did the Pharisees say to Jesus? They said, aha, you're working on the Sabbath. We caught you working on the Sabbath. They began to find fault with our Lord. And they said that he had broken the rules. They were watching him. They were pursuing him. They were following him, hoping to find him mess up. By the way, they never caught Jesus doing anything wrong because he never did anything wrong. Amen? He explained, actually, that the Sabbath is not something we're supposed to worship because man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. It's our day of rest. Amen? By the way, I believe that we need to rest. We need to, to let our body and our mind and our emotions rest. We need physical rest. That is something that God built into us as a need. He knows better than us what we need, so let's obey him. But it's not a day that we worship. It's a day for us. And um, they try to catch Jesus. And don't you think that if they try to catch Jesus, they'll, they're going to try to catch you and they're going to try to uh, find something in your life? And by the way, it's not that we need to get better at covering up. We need to just be right with the Lord, amen? Because if we're clear in our conscience before God and man, whatever they say is not true. And even if it is true, if you have, if you have a moment of sin and weakness in your life, just confess that to the Lord and just admit, you know what, I'm not perfect, but God is perfect and Jesus, his son, died for me. His perfect son died for me and I put my trust in him and I receive forgiveness and I, my standing before God is right. Please forgive me for what it is that I did, but, uh, but I'm definitely not perfect. You found something, okay? But they're gonna try to mess you up and trying to take you out. And the devil's going to try to get you to go further than just making a mistake. He's going to try to destroy your testimony and your life completely. And sad to say, I've known too many Christians that have just quit and have just given in and have just decided, I'm going to live for myself now. I don't care what the Lord says, and I'm just going to give in. And that is another form of persecution, when they can come after you, and, and, and they can bend your will enough to make you want to quit, and in fact, give in. May we not give in to any temptation. By God's grace, we need his help because we're being pursued by the devil and his minions and he's looking for any opportunity to destroy our testimony or to get us distracted from living for Jesus. He says there in verse number nine, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We need to resist the devil. Resist, don't give in. We need to stay steadfast in the faith. That means to continue on your spiritual journey. Don't get sidetracked. There's lots of things that can sidetrack us. Uh, but grow in your knowledge of the Lord. Grow in studying the Bible. I think you have those in your notes there. And grow in your faith by uh, not just knowing what the Word says, but living it out. Grow in your application of the Word. And then he says there in verse number 9, he says, uh, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I can't remember who it, who it was that says I looked it up and I forgot. But uh, knowledge is power, and I don't necessarily buy into that whole concept. But I do think that it is important that we know some things. God expects us to know some things. And if we know things, it allows us to have the right 
understanding and to be able to even apply wisdom that we get from God, okay? Knowledge is important. He says there, knowing why, because, number three, persecution, uh, we, we sometimes think that we're all alone. I'm not on number three yet, I've, forgive me. But we think that we're all alone sometimes, don't we? We think that we're defeated. We think that somehow we're the only one that is living for the Lord, Now, don't raise your hand, but have you ever been there where you thought that you were the only one that lived for the Lord in your your church or in your street, in your neighborhood, in the whole world, maybe? But think, there's nobody else out there that's doing the right thing. It's just me. Nobody else loves God. Nobody else lives for God. Everybody else is, is a hypocrite. And sometimes we've seen enough hypocrites up close that we start thinking that and we start feeling that we might as well just, you know, we can't beat them, we might as well join them. The devil wants you to think that, and that's one of his tactics. One of Satan's tools, I said last week, is lonely, uh, is uh, fear, the spirit of fear. But another one of his tools is loneliness. He wants us to think that we're the only one who is doing the right thing. We're the only one who's not only just doing the right thing, but we're the only one that's being persecuted for the Lord. Hey, what did Timothy, what did Paul tell Timothy? Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, he didn't say all should. He said all shall. You will suffer persecution if you live for the Lord. And so don't listen to the devil's lies of of trying to play on your loneliness. And sometimes we get depressed. We start thinking about these things. Man, when we get depressed, we need to start singing to the Lord and saying, thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve to take, I didn't deserve to take that breath. I just took another one. Thank you, God, for both both of those that I just partook in your air, God. Thank you so much for your goodness to me. I don't deserve anything. And then, and then from there, from that uh, mindset, then we can now thank God. We can pray to him, Lord, help me to do what's right. Help me to keep going. God, I know I'm not the only one. The Bible says that all are going to suffer, and it's normal for me to go through this. But God, just help me to keep going. Give me power and strength. And then, God, show me. Lead me to some soul today that needs the gospel. Lead me to some Christian brother or sister that needs encouragement in their life. And my friend, by the time you get through those three steps, your life will be a lot, a lot better. You're, you have the joy of the Lord restored. You'll have peace in your life. You'll have uh, fulfillment and satisfaction that can only come from God. The devil wants us to focus on self and to focus on what we don't have and, and to look at others, not so that we can be a blessing to them, but to look at others in a covetous way, in a jealousy, and to say, man, I wish I could be like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so over there. And they have, they have it so much better. You don't know. You've never walked in their shoes. And they don't know what you're going through. They may not have walked in your shoes. But understand that there is somebody in this world that has walked in your shoes. He, uh, he says there in verse number nine, knowing that the same afflictions, the persecutions, the um, having an adversary, having a, a a roaring lion, the devil, like a roaring lion, he walking about, trying to take us out. The, the same afflictions, all of the persecutions, 
that you're going through, they're accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. There is somebody in this world throughout the ages, throughout the annals of time, somebody has been through the same afflictions that you are going through and I am going through. Somebody has walked in my shoes. And by the way, many times when we stop focusing on ourselves, we start realizing that there's a lot of somebody's that we even know that have gone through some of the same things that we have gone through. And by the way, the, the, the outgrowth of all of the suffering that we go through, the point is that we bring glory to God, but also that we can help somebody. Man, God, God doesn't waste suffering. Your suffering is not a waste. God says, I'm allowing you to go through this because you're going to come in contact with somebody very soon that needs to know that they can make it through. And I'm preparing you to speak to them. So don't think that your suffering is a waste, but it's to make us uh, in line with the word of God and the will of God, bring glory to him, but then to help others. Make us more like Jesus so we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Number three, persecution can strengthen our faith. Look at verse number 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, What is the point of the suffering? To mature us, to make us like Jesus, to bring glory to God. That's all there in verse 10. Uh, To establish us, to strengthen and settle us. Persecution can strengthen our faith. Peter tells us that the God of all grace will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us after we've suffered for a little while. This might sound strange, but persecution actually makes us stronger. God uses persecution to strengthen and advance his church. Hold your place here in 1 Peter. Go to Acts chapter 8, and I'll kind of borrow something that I shared last year. We looked at uh, the early church in Jerusalem. The early church, of course, started with Jesus and his apostles, but was uh, in many sense... In, 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 in many ways, we see the church being birthed on the day of Pentecost, okay? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit empowering the church, and they preached, people were added to the church, saved, baptized, added to the church, 3,000 in one day. And then from Jerusalem, we see that The gospel went into all the world. But it didn't happen right away. God allowed there to be a time of persecution so that those who were in Jerusalem who were not going into all the world like they were commanded to would get uncomfortable enough to get out and to do what God had told them to do. Persecution actually scattered the church. And we see that the gospel literally exploded around the world. Churches were started, communities were reached, whole regions of the world were reached with the gospel. God took 12 people and turned the world literally upside down for the gospel. We see here in Acts chapter 8 kind of the um, beginning of this persecution with a man who we actually started off reading his words, 2 Timothy Uh, a man named Paul, who used to be named Saul. 
Verse number one, chapter eight of Acts, the Bible says that, and Saul was consenting unto his death. This is talking about what happened in chapter seven with Stephen being stoned. And at that time, there was a great, what's the next word? Persecution against the church. You know, there's times where I think that there should be a great persecution against all of the uh, anarchists in our world and all of the wicked uh, despots and rulers and dictators. I, I believe that we should deal with all of those things too. But I'm telling you, that is not what God called us to do. Primarily, our mission is to is to serve the Lord, and as we preach the gospel, we will be the ones that are persecuted, okay? Because the devil is mad. You know, when you go out and you go soul winning and you go preach the gospel, you're not making the devil's day. You're making him, you're making him mad, and he is, he is saying, I'm going to put a target on your back. And you might be saying here, well, I don't want to make myself a target. I just, want to, I just want to keep my head down, and I just want to fly below the radar. But my friend, if you live godly, unfortunately, you are on the devil's radar, okay? And you might be saying, well, what's the other alternative? Well, just leave it up to the Lord. He, will, he is with you wherever you go. Just trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. You need to solidify in your heart, am I living for self or am I living for the Lord? Is it me first or is it God's will first? And if it's God first, then yes, I'm going to have to be persecuted. But there was a great persecution. And out of this great persecution, we see something wonderful happen. Verse number one, he says that at Jerusalem, there was persecution against the church. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But do you remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission? Um, If you go to the first part of of Acts, he said, Ye shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world, right? They were in Jerusalem, but they hadn't gone to the other three areas. But this persecution brought them into Judea and Samaria. We see there in verse number two. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. He entered into every house. He, uh, hailing men and women, he committed them prison. He brought them out and put them into jail. And therefore they uh, that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. My friend, persecution came to the church, but it didn't silence the message. In fact, it emboldened them. And as we understand that when persecution comes in our life and we understand why, we know that God is allowing us to be persecuted and we are standing for right and we're standing for truth. We're doing what God calls to do. And although we are doing everything right, we are facing persecution. There is something within us, and it's the Holy Spirit. There's something uh, in, our, in our hearts that rises up. The Spirit brings that conviction that what we are doing is right, and it causes us to have great courage and boldness to live for the Lord, something you will not experience until you actually go through it yourself. Don't fall short of understanding what I'm saying this morning. Live for the Lord. Be bold and courageous. He says there that they went everywhere preaching the word. Verse number five, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Wait, the Jews don't like Samaritans. But he went there anyways because God God told him to go there. He went to the other side of the tracks, if you would. He went to the part of town that you weren't supposed to go into. This This isn't the right part of town. But God called him to go there and Philip went and preached there. He preached Christ unto them too. Praise God that preached, God was, uh, Christ was preached unto you. 
Amen? Because it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you were on, you were on the wrong side of the tracks, okay? Because I don't know if anyone in here was a Jew, but um, most of us, if not all of us, are Gentiles. And the gospel is for us too. Praise God for that. Uh, God doesn't hate the Jews. He loves the Jews, but he used his people to bring the gospel to the whole world. And so we see here that Philip was obedient to the Lord. And although Philip experienced great persecution in, in his comfort zone at Jerusalem, he experienced some tough times. But God moved in a great way, allowing there to be persecution. But really, he knew what was going to happen. They moved out, and they did what God had told them to do. They were completely obedient to the Lord. And uh, God wasn't done in Jerusalem, but he was stirring up the nest in Jerusalem. And he wanted to get them out of their comfort zone. In the bird kingdom, a mother bird will stir up her nest, making it prickly and uncomfortable for her baby birds. Then without so much as a, uh, you know, I'll miss you, she kicks the bird out of the nest. Some of you had that experience when you turned 18. And, uh, and for some, we understand, you know what? It was probably good that we had a little bit of a nudge. But God does that too with his children. He says, I've given you salvation. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you my word. I've given you instruction. Get going. So just because you're being persecuted doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong, but it should cause us to think, Lord, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Lord, am I doing your will? And uh, not questioning him and his goodness, but rather, Lord, direct me to where you want me to go. Help me to submit to you today. May that be our prayer. Is that your prayer this morning? Go back to 1 Peter. We're in chapter 5, verse number 11. We'll finish, finish here. He says, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Of course, we have final greetings there in the rest of the verses. But the point of all of this persecution uh, is to make us stronger. In order for evangelism to take place in order for this wonderful outreach in Samaria to have taken place God had to do something he had allowed there to be sorrow and suffering in Jerusalem so that there could be great joy if you get to chapter 8 verse 8 in Acts you'll see there was a great joy in that city because of the gospel coming there persecution ultimately makes us stronger when we realize why we are being tried and tested and that's found there in verse 11 that he would be glorified that he would have the dominion forever and ever we are persecuted, tried, tested, so that our faith can be made stronger and that God would get all the credit and that God would get all the glory. You know, let's not strut around and say, well, I'm suffering for Christ. I'm suffering for Jesus. Now, you're trying to draw attention to yourself. Hey, let's not, be, let's not, let's not uh, complain. Let's just realize this is a normal part of the Christian life. Suffering. Like, oh boy, what a great sales pitch, Pastor. Well, that's why I'm not a salesman, okay? I'm just telling the truth. I'm a spokesperson. I'm a, I'm a prophet for the Lord, in a sense. You know, I'm speaking what he told us to say. And that is the truth, that we are going to suffer. And as much as we want to think that persecution is going to destroy the church, every time the church has faced persecution, the church has grown exponentially. Because your testing and your trials are really, it's faith on display. Persecution in the Christian's life, a true believer who actually submits to the Lord and actually stands for right and goes through this persecution, in essence, their faith is on full display. And people say, you know what? 
that person has some real conviction. What they are saying must be true. What they believe in must actually be true because they are either, uh, they, are either they, they have the truth or they are insane, one or the other. But when enough people are being persecuted for the Lord and are standing for the Lord, there, there, there's nothing really to stop the growth of the church. I think that's why we struggle in America. We don't have enough persecution. You miss a pastor, go somewhere else and preach that message. We don't want to hear that here. But testing of our faith, when our faith is tested, we are made stronger. I believe it was Adrian Rogers, I believe that's what we had on Thursday night, a faith, yeah, that's what it was, a faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. That was our quote from Thursday night. A faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. So, we're persecuted, tried, tested, so that our faith would be made stronger. God would get all the credit and the glory. Are there some areas of your life that are being tested by God? How is your, how is your life right now? Some people are in total agreement with me this morning saying, I am going through a lot. And probably at any given time in a congregation, there's somebody that is going through a lot. And if that's not you today, just say, praise the Lord, it's not me, but I'm going to pray and I'm going to encourage those who are. God gave us a church for a reason. Many reasons. One, to be, uh, that we could come and be edified and encouraged. We can grow in our faith. We can have a, a, a place that we can go out from to preach the gospel. But one of the reasons that we have a church is that so we can be encouraged. We can realize that <laughs> the same afflictions that I'm going through, somebody else is going through as well. And I can find encouragement by coming to my church. Amen? James chapter 1, if you would turn there. Maybe the devil is disrupting your life in some way. Maybe, maybe you're being tempted right now to quit and to give in to, to the devil and his, his um, attack. You're being tempted to do that. Maybe you don't realize that persecution is actually good for us. It's strengthening in your faith, and you're resisting the Lord's working. Maybe you didn't realize that persecution is used to advance the kingdom of God and to bring God glory, and he can be glorified in our persecution. See, prosperity theology says you need to look good. You need to have, you know, you need to have it all together. You need to be wealthy and healthy and all of these other things, and that somehow that, that's just going to be, that's, that's God's blessing in your life. See, sometimes we, we even kind of buy into that a little bit by saying, well, God blessed me with a new such and such, Right? Well, I'm not discounting that God didn't do that, but sometimes we forget to say, well, God blessed me by allowing me to suffer a little bit this week so I can be thankful for, for him, and I could draw closer to the Lord. Yeah. See, we say, well, that's not really a blessing. Persecution is a blessing. If we know it comes from the Lord and we're, doing, we're persecuted for the faith. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers, what does that mean? Just say like various, different shades and colors, if you will. Uh, Diverse temptations. Knowing this, again, here's something, you know, you pick up on this. When the Bible, these little phrases are there for us. We should know some things. 
Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let, and sometimes we don't let, but let patience have her perfect or perfecting work that ye may be perfect or mature, complete, grown up, and entire, wanting nothing. I heard it in our Sunday school class. I'm probably going to butcher what was said, but basically when we realize that we have everything in Christ, the devil has nothing to give to us. (laughs) He can't tempt us anymore. I'm dead. Spiritually, I mean, in Christ, I'm, I'm alive to Christ, but I'm dead in the flesh. You know, I, I'm crucified with Christ. And I don't have to be persuaded into doing something else because I am settled on living for my Jesus and not giving in when hard times come. And I am I'm standing on the solid rock of my salvation. Amen? Amen. And let the, let the storm rage. Let the, let the waves come. You might be saying, Pastor, I hope you're not praying for the whole church. Just pray for yourself. Right? You just say that for yourself, okay? Hey, I, I, I think that you need to, to decide in your heart right now, today, I'm saved. If I'm saved, I'm saved. Jesus went to the cross. If he went to the cross for a dirty, rotten sinner like me who doesn't deserve anything, I could live for the Lord and give him what I have. Give him my offering, myself. In fact, he already owns me. I just have to reckon that to be true. He he owns me. He can do whatever he wants, that he would receive the glory. But guess what? When you live for the Lord, it's the only life worth living and I'm not trying to be overly cliche this morning okay but it is the only life worth living because you get to the end of your life and you realize man I I don't have any regrets I don't have any regrets sometimes we live with regrets but let's stop living that way okay you made mistakes we all make mistakes we all have sinned but let's let's just come to Jesus get that get that taken care of be forgiven It's under the blood. That's in the past. Paul said, I'm not going to look at that anymore. Okay? I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm looking at Jesus. Looking to Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says, looking to the author and finisher of our faith. Let's get our eyes on the Lord and stop looking at ourselves and being uh, depressed about our situation. Don't live a life with regret. Give it to Jesus. Let's stand together. I, I, I want us to just pray, ask God for his, uh, his leading in this invitation. And I want you, if you would, first, where I'm going to talk to anybody here that is not uh, a believer in Christ. Maybe you believe in God. Maybe you, are, maybe you consider yourself a Christian. That's fine. But there was never a time where you were absolutely forgiven by God based on the, the blood of Jesus Christ, meaning you never came to God with, with nothing in your hand. So many Christians or so many people that call themselves Christians, they come with religion. 
Or they come with it, they say, well, I've got baptism. That's going to let me into heaven. Or I've always believed in God. That's going to get me into heaven. Don't forget what Jesus said, the devils believe. It doesn't, that, that has no bearing on salvation. The Bible says that we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? That means that it's not just a, a mental understanding, a, a, a mental assent, a agreement that, oh yes, there is Jesus, there's God, I believe in all those things. No, it is. I'm going to put my trust in what Jesus did on the cross, and, and that alone I, it, baptism doesn't save church, church membership, attendance Doing good works, all those things I talked about at the beginning But it's first by grace are you saved through faith And that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works Lest any man should boast We build on top of the work of Jesus Christ There's nothing we can add to that For salvation But we can live for the Lord after that And we should live for the Lord But whether you do or don't, if you're saved That's your security in heaven so, first of all, without trying to be overly confusing this morning, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, meaning you've never put your trust 100% in him, and you'd like to just get some counsel on that this morning. I'm not asking you uh, to come, and if you're not ready to be saved, uh, I'm not asking you to come and get saved this morning, but I would encourage you, if you're ready, do that, but if not, I want you to come and get counsel. Because the devil's going to try to get you tripped up and distracted and get you to focus on something else for the next few moments. But I, I, I know if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, that you need to get this straightened out in your life and, and, and come to the right understanding of this truth. You need to come and talk to somebody. We'd be happy to talk to you. We're not going to pressure you into anything. It is the act of the will. You have to decide. It's your choice. We're not, we're not trying to count numbers or anything like that. We want you to have the right information to come to the understanding that the Bible is true, what God says about salvation and sin and all of these things are true, but you have to make that decision for Christ. Secondly, if you're a believer this morning and, uh, and there's some fear in your life, we talked about that last week, there's some things that, boy, I need to just surrender that to the Lord. Maybe it's persecution. Maybe you're going through some things. Maybe you just need some encouragement. You want to pray with somebody? Uh, either you come and you can pray with somebody down here, pray with myself, or you can grab somebody, you come and pray with them. Maybe uh, it'd be good to know that there, I'm not the only one. And that's what you need today. I ask that you come at this time of invitation. Don't be bashful. This is a time for you to just find that encouragement as we counsel together. And uh, this is the point of preaching, and we, we have a reason for doing this. We're coming to a decision time. And so this invitation is, is an opportunity for you to come and find some counsel and help and encouragement. So standing to our, our feet with our head bowed and eye, eyes closed, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to have Mrs. Hoover play uh, just a, a few things on the piano, just a song, just to give us some, some uh, time to really reflect and think on these things. But you come as soon as I say the word amen. You come and find help. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to, to, uh, to preach and to pray with our people. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement of your word. I pray that you help us to realize that part of living for you is that we will suffer. And God, I know there's many before us that have actually paid the ultimate price. They've given their lives for the gospel. So Lord, I thank you so much. We're not saying today that that is what you've called us to do. You've first of all just called us to live for you. That our bodies would be a living sacrifice. That would be holy. That they would be acceptable unto you. That's our reasonable service. So Lord, help us to just submit in that area. 
God, give us encouragement. Thank you so much for your church. I pray that you bless this time of invitation. Be with all of our people, no matter what they're going through. 